the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. God had faithfully given the Israelites the land promised to them. They were given many victories over the inhabitants of Canaan. The land was dispersed into different allotments for each tribe. Each tribe received their inheritance and was to continue to drive out the other nations from the land. Cities of refuge were made for people to have a fair day in court. The Levites were given cities as well. The tribes from across the Jordan River returned to their land. Everything is at peace. But Joshua is still not done. Twenty years have passed, and Joshua will address the nation one last time. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. By the time we finish chapter 22 of Joshua, the main story that we would think in Israel's timeline, their history, is over. But when you have a book named after yourself, you kind of got to get to the end of your life, right? There's more to Joshua's story that he's going to tell. And so chapter 23 is actually going to come 20 years after chapter 22. And by the time we get to 23, Joshua is now dying. Even though he's dying, the tribes in these 20 years, they have not driven out the remaining pockets of resistance. They have not inherited their inheritance. And Joshua knows that they're going to have to complete that task now after he's gone. And so he does two things in these last two chapters to give them the best chance of success. In chapter 23, he gives his personal farewell to the leaders of the nation where he challenges them once again to love God supremely. And then in chapter 24, he gives the entire nation an opportunity to officially recommit themselves to loving God supremely. So tonight we're going to look at that first part, that first challenge he gives to these leaders of the tribes. And through that challenge, we're going to learn the keys to how we stay regularly in that place of resting in Christ's victory. That's what Joshua is all about, how we walk in Christ's victory. One of those ways is we need to rest in Christ's victory. And we've been learning about how we do that. We've learned how we do that. Now is how do we stay there? And that's what our, our topic's going to be tonight, how to keep resting. So chapter 23, verse 1. It says, and it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes. From Jordan, with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised 
unto you. Joshua starts off by summoning these leaders to give them this word of exhortation, and he makes this bold declaration of faith here at the start. He starts off, he says, I'm about to die. He tells them. It says that Joshua waxed old and was stricken in age. Stricken in age means to come into the day. He was entering into his day of death. And he tells them, he goes, I'm dying. However, I'm not dead yet. And you haven't finished your task yet. And so since I plan to finish well, I'm going to urge you before I die to finish your task. He says unto them, verse 3, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that has fought for you. He says, I'm about to die, but I am not done yet. And I'm not going to be done until I exhort you to finish what you're not done with either. And he exhorts them in light of the fact that God did this awesome thing 20 years ago. He says, guys, you have seen all, not that I did, but that the Lord your God has done unto all these nations because of you. You don't need me to complete your task. You need the one who already won all the victories that have preceded this point. Joshua may have led the nation in those victories, but it was God, not Joshua, who fought for them. You know that old song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Joshua did nothing. Honestly, he did nothing. God's the one who the walls came tumbling down. We should say Jehovah fought the battle of Jericho, right? That's what we should sing. Because all Joshua did is tell the people what to do. God's the one who brought those walls down. There was no fighting done by Joshua. But that's the idea they had in their minds. And so he tells me, he says, yes, I led you. Yes, and I'm dying. But you know what? The one who really won those battles for you, he's not dying. He's not even close to it and he never will become close to it. For the Lord your God is he that has fought for you and he will continue to fight for you. Aren't you glad that God fights for you? Romans chapter 8, 31, it has that beautiful, famous verse where it says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's not just in Joshua that God fought for. It's not just Israel that God fought for. God fights for you. You know, I think of the prayer that Daniel had when he prayed and crying out to the Lord saying, God, the time has come, the prophecy of Jeremiah, the 70 years of, of captivity in Babylon. You know, Lord, you said that that's time for us to go back. So what's the next step? The Bible says that God sent angels immediately to answer that request and they had to battle their way through spiritual forces to get to Daniel. That's why they were delayed. So God, he fights for us still. He sends his angels before us. He gives his angels charge over us. He fights for us still. And that's a good thing to know, isn't it? I'm not doing this alone. It's not up to you. So he, he summons them to tell him he's about to die to remind them of the awesome thing God did 20 years ago but then to remind them that they have not been faithful to enter into their full inheritance. Verse 4, behold, which means pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Don't tune me out here. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain, the small pockets of resistance in Israel that still needed to be dealt with. I have divided them to you. I've given them to you to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan River with all the nations which I have cut off even under the great, the Mediterranean Sea, the great sea westwards. He says, I have already given you that land. I've told you what land is your responsibility. I've given you the orders to go take that land. I didn't give it to you 20 years ago so you could ignore the remaining challenges. I gave it to you so you'd enter into all of it. And so his exhortation here, his reminder is, stop sitting around and trust the Lord to give you the victory. Verse 5. 
and the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised unto you. That is God's perfect will for the nation of Israel. This is God's plan for Israel. Here's where things can get murky, though. If they don't enter in and they don't trust the Lord, is God still going to do that? Even though he's already given it to them. Even though the works were finished from the foundation of the world, as Hebrews says. And the answer to that, as we'll find out a little bit later, is no. There's a situation that we have in the New Testament that kind of reveals this part of where we have responsibility, but God does all the work. And it's where Paul was on the ship, remember, that was in tossed in the storm. And he comes to the captain and he goes, listen, I have prayed to the Lord and the Lord has promised me that there will be no life lost. No life lost in this ship. Well, as things start getting worse, some of the crew decide they're going to try to sneak off in one of the little side boats. And they start lowering it. And when they're caught, Paul comes to the captain. He goes, listen, he goes, I know I told you there'd be no life lost, but that's if they trust the Lord and they stay on the ship. If they go off doing their own thing, then that is null and void. That's kind of how this works. God has given a clear promise to us in many areas of our lives. But some of those promises are conditional upon our trusting him, conditional upon our entering into those things. The Bible says he shall give perfect peace to him whose mind is fixed or stayed on him. But there's two parts to that, right? We have God's promise that he'll do something, and he promises that it's already, already settled. But I have to have my mind fixed on him, right? Stayed on him. We have numerous promises like this in the Old and the New Testament that we do have a part to play, even though it's not us that does the work. They don't have to defeat these people. They just need to go out in faith and believe God will defeat them. But if they won't step out in faith, that's not on God. And God's not necessarily just going to poof, make it go away. They need to trust the Lord, their God. And that's what he says to them. The Lord, your God, he's the one that shall do this. Not just my God, Joshua says. This isn't about me. I'm dying. He's your God. So stop waiting for someone else to lead you into the stuff that you're supposed to do and start trusting him. Do you know how many times I've gone to somebody and I said, you know, I, I just need some advice, your thoughts, or whatever. And they just look at me and like, well, you already know what you need to do. Why don't you just do it? You know what my problem is? My problem isn't not knowing what to do. My problem is, I don't want to do it. I'm kind of like Barak. Deborah gives him a word from the Lord. Barak, God's going to give you the victory. Go lead the people. And, and you'll lead the people against the, whoever it was they were fighting against at the time. I don't remember exactly. I think it was the Syrians. And go fight them, you know, and, and, and God will give you the victory. And you do it. You be the leader. And he goes, oh, well, I'll go if you come with me. Like, there's a part of me that, that wants to go, God, Barak, ah, get up, man. You know, you're not a dog. Go lead the people. But then there's another part of me that identifies with that. And I look at my own life where I'm looking for somebody else to lead me by the hand into something God's already called me to do. Can I be real with y'all for a minute? When the Lord told me to come here, it wasn't that I didn't want to come. I was frightened. I was frightened of what would happen to the other church. I was frightened of what would happen if I came here. I was very aware of the fact that I'm quite different in personality and whatever, you know, in delivery style, you name it. And I was quite concerned that I would come and people would go, oh, who's this loud, garish man? This, oh, I'm leaving. I was seriously concerned about this. Even though I had such clear words from the Lord over and over again, I kept waiting for somebody to just take me by the hand. I remember I had, me and Bev had dinner with Pastor Gibb and Linda, and finally he just kind of cornered me and he said, well, I don't want you to come if you don't want to come. He said, you need to want to come. And it was at that moment that I had to stop waiting for somebody to hold my hand and to say the words, to say, yes, I want to do this. Fears, whatever. Concerns, whatever. I want to do this. And there are many things in your life where it's going to be like that. No one's taking your hand except the Lord. And he's going to say, you come follow me. I'm your God. 
I'm not your pastor's God. I'm not your spouse's God. I'm not your, your friend's God. I'm not all your mentor's God. I'm your God. And I need you to follow me on this. I need you to go down this road with me, even if no one else comes with you. I'm so glad that God has never, ever left me down when I've stepped out in faith. And it was just me and him. Not that that event was just me and him. Obviously, my family was involved and other people were involved. But you get my saying. There have been many times in my life when the Lord said, hey, come follow me, like he said to the disciples. And I've never been disappointed when I've taken his hand, and that's the only hand I've had. I've never been disappointed. There are many moments in your life when you're going to come face to face with the, the question of, is this real? Like, like, is it real? Like, are you real? Is this thing real? Is everything I, I believe and live, is it real? There are going to be times in your life when you're going to be faced with that question. And so in those moments, that's where the question of, is he your God or is he just somebody else's God that you kind of hang out with? Where that question becomes answered. There are many times in my life where I've had the opportunity to walk away from the Lord when it just things were hard. And I thought, Lord, if, if you're out there, I really need you to come through right now. Every time he's come through. There are many scriptures that are of import to me. I think of Peter who, when things started to go downhill in the ministry and people are leaving Jesus left and right and Jesus finally turns to them and he goes, are you guys going to leave too? Peter, we can critique him all we want. I mean, we can talk about he's the guy always, anytime he opened his mouth, it was only to insert his foot, change shoes. But Peter's the one who spoke up and said, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so frequently in my life, when I've come to that place, like, what do I do? God, I don't see you. I don't feel you. I'm, I'm frustrated. Like, what do I do? Those words always come back to my ears. Well, where else are you going to go? Is there something else out there that's more real? You start weighing it out like that instead of looking at the challenge you're facing and going, how are we going to uproot these Philistines? I can imagine being the tribe of Dan. You're watching the lots come out, and you're like, oh, man, I really wanted that land. I love the sea. You know, and then they come, oh, okay, I guess we don't get that land. That would be nice. Jerusalem's cool that time of year. And then you get down to this last lot, and you're like, really? We got to deal with the Philistines? I fully understand why they went, and they took land all the way up there that had nothing to do with the land God gave to them. I've done that many times. But at some point, those people didn't sit down and go, what are we really getting up here? Like, what are we really getting? When I was working for Chick-fil-A, I was a general manager. So, I mean, I was the, the guy aside from the, the owner, of course. And while my owner treated me very well, paid me well, there's a disparity between the owner and the role. And so many people who are in my position are aspiring to be owners at some point because it's a, a very good deal. It's a great company to work for. The money's great. And I remember I was looking at that. And so as I was being groomed for that, I remember I met with one of the leaders at the home office. And they said to me, now, Will, you're a pastor. And we look at this as a ministry. We look at this as a a lifetime commitment. And so we realize if you have this commitment that you can't have two of these. I remember I went home that night and I'm like, how am I going to take care of my family, Lord? I mean, I want to have kids. We had one at the time. And I was like, how am I going to move forward? I, I can't support a larger family on what I'm making right now. And I remember I went to bed that night. You almost never hear me say, I had a dream from the Lord. That's the way I work. I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying I don't. And that night I had a dream. And I was the owner of a Chick-fil-A. And it was a good life. I could say yes to anything my wife wanted, my kids needed, whatever. We could do all sorts of fun things. And it was a good life. And I remember at the end of it, the end of the dream, I woke up. 
And the Lord said to me, he said, Will, if you really want it, you can have it, but it's not my best for you. And it was at that moment when I, I said, there's no choice to be made. I want your best for me. It's not that God hated Dan because they went up and did this, okay? It's not that he knows our frame that we're simply dust. He got it, okay? And it's not like the Lord's looking at Gabriel going, what's wrong with these people? He got it. He, he got it, okay? But it wasn't what he wanted for him. The Lord knows our frame that we're simply dust. He pities us like a father pities his, his child, but he knew all the challenges that would come from Dan selecting something else over him. And Dan did. Dan fell into idolatry right away. They had an easy, cushy life. And you know what? An easy, cushy life is not usually the best life. Usually our faith is kept strong and forged through challenges. So God had something far better. Where else are you going to go? Go up to Laish and call it Dan? They already had a land called Dan. Well, no, we're going to go up to Laish and call it Dan, and then that'll, be this, that'll work. It didn't work. And I knew in my heart of hearts, you know, if I went and did that, that, yeah, I might have some things I wanted, but I would not have the eternal aspects that God wanted for me. And so when Peter said that, where else are we going to go? So frequently when I've been in those moments, it's like, well, what else am I going to do, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have what can speak into me things that will last forever. While that may be difficult in this moment, I know that's what's best. And the Lord's never let me down in that, and he won't let you down either. He is my God. He is your God. And I ask you, what are you waiting for when it comes to obeying God? Who are you waiting for to take your hand and make you do it? Don't wait. The Lord will take your hand and he will give you victory. Verse six, bringing them in, he tells them the situation, gives them this beautiful promise, and now he exhorts them of how they're gonna move forward in this. Therefore, he says, be ye very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. He says, listen, you need to be very courageous. The word there means to be very strong, to be very hard, to be very devoted, to be earnest in this endeavor. And the endeavor is to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. To keep, to guard or watch. It means to make it a priority in your life. Make everything God says in his word a priority in your life. And then do it, live it out. Make it a priority to understand it and to know it and then make it a priority to live it out, to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or from the left. The word turn aside, it means to change direction from the planned course. Listen, everybody has weaknesses. I am not exempt from this, all right? If, if you got to look into my brain, you would never want me to be your pastor, all right? Because I, I have my own weaknesses, all right? That's just how it is. We all have weaknesses. Everyone also goes through seasons of struggle. But we cannot allow the excuse of ignoring the sections of God's word because it's too hard. Or, I don't like that command. Or, well, I'm obeying God in all these other areas, so surely I'm allowed one area of compromise. We can never let any of those things be an excuse to ignore a section of God's word. And so he says to them, he says, make sure that you are making it a priority to keep and to live out every bit that's, living, that's written in the book of the law of Moses, that you wouldn't change direction from this planned course to the left or to the right. If God says something in his word, that should end the discussion. That should end the discussion. There should be no debate about which direction I'm to go when it concerns what God says in his word. So while Israel might be doing lots of good things right now, they're maybe in, for the majority of it, in a good place spiritually, Joshua highlights an area of God's word they are in danger of ignoring. Verse 7, 
This is where they might turn to the right hand or the left. That you come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves down unto them. Joshua lists two of God's commands, and therefore two areas, Israel is in danger of disobeying God if they don't stay on track. The first one is that they would come among these nations. The word to come means to cohabit with. It speaks of intimacy, of everyday life, of relationship. God was very clear that they were not to cohabit with unrepentant pagans. They were to drive them. If they were not repentant, they were to drive them out of the land. Now, the Gibeonites were repentant. We listed a few other people that were allowed to remain. doesn't tell us they were repentant, but we have to assume that's the case since there was no censure from Joshua or, or the Lord. We have Rahab and her family, of course. So there were people that they were allowed to stay. The Bible has tons of examples where the Lord urges his people to treat the stranger well, the foreigner, if they're living among them. However, the foreigner living among them had to live by the law of Moses. So it had nothing to do with nationality. It had to do with faith, had to do with where their faith was. So they were never to cohabit with those who did not share their faith in this nation. Okay? They could not allow them to remain there and to have close relationships with them. Secondly, they were not to worship other gods. It's interesting, that phrase, neither make mention. The word make mention means to proclaim or assert truths about someone. They should not be asserting truths about other gods. It's interesting, the NIV actually translates this here to invoke the names of other gods, which means to cite or appeal to someone as an authority. You're in danger right now because of this area of compromise. You haven't driven these people out, that you may end up cohabiting with them someday, and then you may actually invoke the name of their gods at some point. You may actually end up going, well, you know, and I know I'm not supposed to, but I was at this like service to Baal, and you know, the priest there, he actually said something good. He said, you know, and Baal says, helps those who help themselves. I'm pretty sure that's where that came from, right? You're in danger of doing that. Nor cause to swear by them, to make someone swear an oath by them. If you're going to make an oath with someone, make a contract with someone, it needs to be by the Lord's name, not not by some false God's name. Neither serve them nor bow yourself down to them. Those are terms, obviously, for worship. Israel must never compromise on the issue of cohabiting with unrepentant foreigners. Israel must also never make exceptions for idolatry. Instead, they need to do something else that prevents those two things from ever happening in our lives. Verse 8. But cleave unto the Lord your God, as you have done unto this day. The word there, cleave, it means to cling to, to stay close to. And it implies a normal, continual relationship. Listen, I usually fail or make poor decisions not because I woke up that morning and I decided to have an unspiritual day. It usually happens because I've started to compromise and clinging to Jesus. I'll wake up and you hear the Lord's voice, you know, that beautiful worship song we sing, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your songs again. I'll wake up and the Lord will start whispering that in my ear and I'm like, I don't want to sing any songs. I want to sleep. Or I want to check out the news. Or I want to read a book. Or I want to do this. I want to to have my breakfast first. That's how a bad day starts. For me. Maybe not for you. That's how an unspiritual day starts for me. As the Lord begins to reach out to me to draw near to Him. And I push Him away. I say later. You know what happens? Later turns into later. Into later. Into later. Into tomorrow. Into the next day. 
And before you know it, I'm not clinging to Jesus. He says to them, if you're going to avoid this, you're, you're doing a good job clinging to the Lord right now, but you need to cling even tighter. And here's the crazy part. This can happen to anyone who starts to make small compromises, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It is God who fights for us. He is the one that gives us victory in Jesus. But we must walk into his promises in faith and in obedience to his word. The tendency can be to lighten up, to get caught up in the mundane and the minutia of the everyday that we compromise and begin to backslide. To combat this, we love God entirely, giving ourselves to him afresh and anew each day. God longs to bless us when we trust and obey. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.